hockey fans, and welcome back to the second episode of the eighth season of Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ Friends. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario. You can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes. A great follow at AJ Scholes24. He's always got something going on, whether it's raising money for charity or traveling or some adventures. We always like to weave that in because I find <laughs> Find him to be a very interesting guy. You can follow him at AJ Scholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-24. He's based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, folks. And that's near Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. Allow me to welcome back uh, our very talented AJ Scholes. What's up, AJ? Give us something to chew on in terms of what's going on in your life these days. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> I mean, not a, not a ton right now. Just uh, settling into the rhythm. We're in week three of kindergarten for our oldest, so you know those rhythms and what that looks like. But uh, yeah, life's pretty calm and quiet right now. I'm sure that won't last with the school year getting started and the kids getting a little more active. With yep. that, AJ, uh, talk about getting more active. We had a flurry of activity. Uh, earlier today on the NHL What News Wire. So we get to talk about three significant retirements among veteran defensemen in the NHL. And then there was some big salary news. Let's start with the the three players, though, AJ. Uh, Zdeno Chara, Keith Yandel, and P.K. Subban retiring. Pick one, and uh, we'll start talking about it. Yeah, just uh, kind of, I don't know if they had talked about this ahead of time or, or what, but, yeah, weird to get, like, three big defensemen retire, uh, you know, retiring announcements all within, you know, a matter of a couple hours this morning. So uh, obviously I'll I'll start with Chara mostly because I think he's the one most likely to uh, have a shot at the hall of fame, Stanley cup winner, Norris trophy winner, incredibly, uh, you know, long career. I was, I was looking earlier today um, at his, his draft class, um, and the last one to retire before Chara was uh, Matt Cullen a couple of years ago. So Chara was was the lone member of that 96 draft class still hanging around. Um, so, yeah, what an incredible career. 200 total postseason games. Again, like I said, the Stanley Cup title with the Bruins. So um, I think he's probably got the best chance of getting into the Hall of Fame. I, I would doubt it would be first ballot uh, or first you know, opportunity however you want to look at that, but I would eventually guess that we'll, we would see the towering, towering defenseman uh, in the hall at some point here. 
Well, I don't share your doubt that he's going to be a first uh, ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's a shoe in uh, first ballot. Look at the numbers, 1,680 games played, 209 the goal scored, 471 assists, then the 200 more playoff games with 18 goals and 52 assists. That's a lot of crooked numbers. And we know he was an intimidating force, maybe the most intimidating player during his time in the NHL for sure, I would say. Nobody really wanted to mess around with him, and his fights were must-see uh, television or videos on uh, on replay. I remember one game where he picked up Ryan McKay, who was playing with the Leafs, and just threw him around like a, ba- a sack of uh, wheat. Uh, it was an unbelievable. And, and McCabe was not a small man at that time. Uh, you could just see his face. He got, kind of went, wow, when that whole flurry ended. That He was shocked at the power uh, displayed by Chara. And uh, that was just one aspect of him. Though. He, he was a very talented offensive player and a uh, a stout defensive presence. So I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to get all the fame credentials. He's an all-star multiple times. He was uh, the leader of the Boston Bruins for years and their captain. I, I think he's a shoe win. But there is some doubt about the other guys. Maybe ni- neither one of them will make it. I'm going to touch on P.K. Subban next. The guy was a very uh, highly visible part of the Montreal Canadiens for the early part of his career. But then he bounced around the NHL with a couple of other stops later on finishing up in New Jersey last year. And A.J., his numbers were pretty good, too, uh, over his career. 834 games. He was only 30, He's only 33 years old. I figured he had a couple of good years left. But uh, I really noticed that he slowed down a little bit uh, last year and the year before. So maybe a wise choice by him. The offensive numbers were there. 115 goals, 352 assists. In the playoffs, 96 games played, 18 and 44 with the goals and assists totals. Don't think that those numbers in, in his career are going to get him to the hall, AJ. That's my slant on him. But uh, for the years that he was in Montreal, a very captivating presence in the NHL. And I have no doubt that he's going to go on to a post-hockey career on the media side. And uh, we haven't seen the last of him, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely expect we'll see him on, on various shows. I think he did something last season during the playoffs for, for one of the TNT maybe here in the, the U.S. So um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands, but I, he won't be long without some sort of uh, job offer there. And, and I agree probably on the, the media side for him. I'll take us into our last guy. Uh, we're talking Keith Yandel. Uh, primarily, I think of Keith Yandel with the Yotes. Um, spent some time with Florida as well. But what Yandel will obviously be best known for is his Ironman streak, 989 consecutive games played. Um, unfortunately for Yandel, he's going to hold on to that for about two weeks into the NHL season here. Um, you know, it looks like uh, if I'm doing my math right, Kessel will potentially pass him on October 25th. Um, to take over that, that Ironman streak. But uh, another guy, probably not Hall of Fame caliber, um, just based on the, the, the offensive numbers. Um, but really, you know, to play that many games in a row in the NHL is pretty impressive. It's just unfortunate for him that he had to do it at the almost overlapping um, with another Ironman of the NHL. And you know what? His offensive numbers, AJ, were pretty credible. There were there were several seasons in a row where you could count on this guy for 40, 50, maybe even 60 points a year from the back end. So really an unsung guy compared to the other two defenders. But maybe he had, he had the best set of offensive skills. And you consider 103 goals in his career, 516 assists. That's, that's a boatload more assists than either two of the other two defensemen. Uh, you mentioned the Ironman streak. 
in the playoffs, 58 games played, eight goal, six goals and 36 assists. That's reflective of the fact that he didn't play for many competitive teams for, for much of his career, and that's probably going to keep him out of uh, consideration for the Hall, in my opinion. But the three of these guys were all very good offensive defensemen in their day, and they deserve a tip of the hat from our corner for the outstanding careers that they each put forth. And uh, they certainly were players that went in all the hockey pools that I that I drafted in over their careers. So kudos to them for that, uh, that uh, ability as well. But AJ, we're not talking just about three guys that retired today. Uh, it's a real sign that hockey season is, is ramping up, though, when you start to hear other news. And there was a blockbuster today as well on the salary cap side. I'll leave it to you to go go through it, and I'll rebut. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one guy who I think we can fairly certain say will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, Nathan McKinnon, signs a massive eight-year, uh, $100.8 million contract that will see him make an annual uh, value just 100K north of Nathan, uh, or uh, Connor McDavid. So Nathan McKinnon becomes when the contract kicks in next season becomes the uh, highest paid player in the league. Uh, and certainly I think he could have demanded more. Um, you know, I, I, I believe uh, you're allowed to play, pay a player upwards of 20% of the cap number uh, that would come in roughly 16 million. So he, he could have certainly asked for more. Um, so you know, he's been, quote unquote, the most underpaid player in the league for a while. Um, I He might still be underpaid, probably not the most underpaid at this point. But uh, fresh off that Stanley Cup win, he's going to cash in. They'll get one more cheap season, uh, about 6.3, I think, is the cap hit this year. And then that'll double for the next eight after that. AJ, this guy, he did take a bit of a discount to allow this team to build a team uh, around him that was good enough to win the Stanley cup last year. So I give him a lot of credit for that. He went, he said that that was important to him to be part of a competitive team. And he did his part, but, uh, and he may have taken a bit of a haircut. Uh, if 12, if you can consider 12 million plus a haircut, <laughs> but, but you mentioned it, that the most he could have asked for is in the neighborhood of 16 million. And, and I wonder if a couple other guys are going to test that in a year or two. And I'm thinking primarily of Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. Now, McDavid is, uh, has got a couple of years to go. I think Matthews does as well. But uh, next year at this time, those contract negotiations will be going full tilt. And I wonder if either of those two guys is going to give their, their current teams a break in that regard. There certainly are a flurry of rumors around both of them that they might not stay where they're currently located. So it's going to be very interesting to see how those two contracts play out. But I think uh, McDavid deserves a bit of a a bit of uh, praise for the fact that he didn't hold his team for ransom like he could have. I think he could have got max money too. So uh, it's, it's a great contract, big money. There'll never be a telethon for him, but I wonder how this affects the other two contract negotiations that I mentioned. I'm curious to hear your opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think it does and it doesn't, right? Like I know I haven't looked at Matthews recently, but like McDavid has like three more years on his deal um, I would imagine it comes in higher, right? Um, you know, but the, we, the cap will probably go up over the next, like, four seasons here. Um, just looking quickly at, like, who's set to be a free agent after this year, I don't know that anybody could really command quite that much. I mean, David Pasternak's going to get a raise here at some point, but, I, you know, 
he's not going to push above that. Um, yeah, you know, Matthew Barzell maybe gets a little bit of an increase, but again, nobody on this list that I'm seeing here that I would expect to go upwards of, of that level of uh, contract. I do think you're right. Those two will command more, but it's so hard to expect like what that'll be four years down the road. Yeah. For McDavid, the contract negotiation will take place next summer. Uh, sorry, Matthews. It'll take place next summer. He's got two years left, but uh, he's got a no trade deal that kicks in next year. And uh, the Leafs will want to get that done in the next off season. I'm pretty sure. So that's the one that I'm looking at. And you're right, the salary cap will go uh, up. And I'm hearing it'll go up significantly, AJ, as much as maybe eight or nine million is what, what I heard recently in a rumor. So that gives all clubs a little more flexibility than they, a lot more flexibility that they enjoyed, enjoyed in recent years. I'm curious to see how it'll be distributed among certain teams. But the wiggle room certainly will return based on the fact that the calorie, salary cap will, is pegged to rise over the next season, a few seasons until the next bargaining. Uh, on the current contract between the league and the players comes due. Some quick math here, Paul. If that happens, if it goes up eight million, Matthews could command almost eighteen uh, on his next contract. So that's right. That's uh, phenomenal <laughs> numbers. That's getting in line, though, with uh, some of the higher-paid players in other sports. AJ, I think the NHL kind of lags behind when you consider in baseball. There's players that make upwards of thirty and in basketball upwards of 40 maybe high 40s even so hockey has been lagging behind those two sports and uh, basketball as well you can throw that in with lebron james making you know 50 million a year whatever it is very close so hockey is the fourth and poor cousin among those those uh, sports but i think they're going to close the gap with the fact that the salary cap is going to rise uh aj they're they're was a trade last week. We'll get to it when it when we get to talking about Dallas. And uh, there's other injury news when we talk about one of the other teams. I think Minnesota. You have found a note on them. But uh, we're going to go through the teams in the Central Division and uh, highlight the players that we expect to line up at the forward position, defense, and in net. The depth charts will be the focus of our show. And uh, why don't we dive in with a look at the Arizona Club. Take us through your look at the forward ranks of this club, they look to be, I think, one of the weaker teams again this season. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, you look at the forward ranks, uh, not a lot of change for them. And on the whole, you've got, you know, Nick Schmaltz, Travis Boyd, Clayton Keller as your top unit here. Uh, Larson Krause, Barrett Hayton, and Jack McBain as your second group. But a lot of that is going to be what happens with McBain. Uh, can he, you know, produce at a top level? We only saw 10 games out of him last year. And look, Travis Boyd just isn't a first, you know, a first line center. Um, you know, his numbers reflect that when you look over his career. Best season he's had last year at 35. His highest before that was just uh, was 20. Um, so this just, you know, there's just not a lot here. They've got uh, Nick Bukestad is in on a one year contract. Maybe he could turn something into that. Nathan Smith is another player who could maybe factor into the top six. He played just 10 games last year, another youngster in the development here. And, and that's really the key with this team. Although, unfortunately, doesn't it always seem to be the key with this team, like developing young guys who may or may not make it, and then when they don't, everything gets traded away and blown up again by a new new regime. So I'm, I'm really – I agree with you, Paul. I'm not very impressed with this, you know, top – Top six here. 
Um, there's just not a lot in it to be excited about if, if you're a Coyotes fan, which, you know, is really unfortunate for, for the team there. Zach Cassian comes over from Edmonton, but again, you know, maybe he slots into a top six if, if McBain um, doesn't really work out there. And then a bunch of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Christian Fisher, Alex Chason, Andrew Ladd, a couple of guys that will slot into a lineup here or there. But um, not not a super deep team and not a, a really strong center group, in my opinion. And, A.J., part of the story has to be told when you look at the draft picks they're accumulating. You mentioned Zach Cassian. That deal was done so that Edmonton could get enough room to get Jack Campbell signed as a free agent and do some other things, maybe even – for futures, but they're accumulating a lot of picks. They they don't have uh, an act, they don't have an extra pick next year. Really, they got two third rounders. They deform, they gave up a seventh rounder, but it's the following two years where they've accumulated seven, uh, eight or nine picks in the in the first three rounds in next year's draft in the 2024 draft, and then six picks in the 2025 draft. So I guess that's their their gambit here. They're they're accumulating future. Uh, assets and maybe they'll turn them into other players and other trades if, if they come up. But it seems to be a resting spot for any other team that that has the cap difficulties. Arizona seems to come to their rescue time and time again to give them that flexibility in their locales. And I agree with you. This is a very thin offensive grouping, I'll say. I'll, I'll highlight the fact that I think there's potential in a few of the forwards. You mentioned Schmaltz and Taylor, the wingers on the top line. They are both capable. Well, last year they got 59 points for Schmaltz, 63 for Keller. I think they'll be hard-pressed to repeat those numbers unless they do an upgrade at center. And maybe that upgrade is Barrett Hayton. He's a guy that's penciled in right now for second-line minutes. But I think he could be their their signature player in the middle of the ice. Got 24 points in only 60 games played. But I remember back in junior and in the World Junior Championships, this guy was a real presence for for Canada. And uh, I think he's got the potential more than any other of the centers to take that top rung and uh, help these other guys repeat their years. Otherwise, they'll be hard-pressed. And I've been hearing for years, Lawson Gross is a guy that's desired by other teams uh, across the league. He got 20 20 goals and 14 assists. Maybe he's the other remaining uh, signature offensive piece on this roster. You'll be hard-pressed to tell me that there's any other players that will threaten the 20-goal mark. You wonder what they're going to get out of Jack McBain. I agree with you. That's a question mark. But in the absence of real uh, pressure from the likes of Cassian and Christian Fisher on the right side, he's going to get a long look at, at that position. So he might be a sleeper if we can highlight one that way. I'll take us into the defense, AJ, and uh, uh, the signature player back there, Shane Gostisbehere. He returned to form last year with a full slate of 82 games played. He accumulated 51 points. That's more like what we saw from him earlier in his career, and he'll get every opportunity to repeat those numbers because the only other uh, offensive piece of note is another guy that was a subject of a lot of offseason trade rumors, Jacob Chikrin. For 47 games played, he got seven goals and 14 assists. That's scratching the, the tip of the surf uh, of the iceberg for him because I think he's a, a better offensive talent than Gostas Bear. And uh, the fact that he was so so sought after in the offseason just underscores that. I think this guy uh, is going to be their power play quarterback, and I could see him getting upwards of 50 points, and maybe that will impact on Gostas Bear's numbers that way. They have Dyson Mayo. And uh, Troy Stetcher, who they acquired in free agency, 
He played in L.A. and Detroit last year, accumulated only three points in 29 games. He's a great skater. I think there's much more offense there than he showed last season. Then they rounded out with the likes of Patrick Nemeth and Josh Brown, other players that played elsewhere last season. So other than Chikrin and Gossespair, though, I think uh, they'll be wanting for offense uh, on the back end. Those are the two guys for me. Yeah, I would agree. And and I echo your sentiments about Troy Stetcher. You, you know, you're talking about a guy twice hit the 20 point mark when he was with Vancouver. But since leaving the Canucks really has not lived up to any sort of offense, offensive expectations with those numbers really dropping the last few years. So maybe a move away from Detroit um, could help him uh, kind of improve there in the Nets. It's going to be all. Carl Vamelka this year, uh, as it was for much of last year, you know, he appeared in 49 games for them, just 13, 32, and three was the record. Eight, nine, eight was the save percentage. I think, you know, interesting additions to that for them. They brought in John Gillies to maybe compete, but he's on a two-way deal. And then also Christopher Gibson uh, comes in on a professional tryout here. Um, It was a kind of, Minimally used backup for the Islanders for a number of years, uh, Tampa Bay most recently. And I, I think maybe a guy that could potentially get a look. I mean, 29 years old, has played a ton in the AHL, which is you know only worth you know worth so much. But I think maybe um, if Gillies isn't up to, to snuff, maybe could provide a kind of stabilizing influence behind Vimelka here. And, and I think um, – you know, that's that's what they need because they're going to roll with Vimelka to the best of their ability um, and, and just go with him. They obviously weren't afraid to trot him out last year, letting him get hung out to dry for those 32 losses. And, and they'll hope he continues to develop there. Yeah, but the numbers are scary, AJ. I don't think I want to touch anybody with a goals against average upwards of three and a half. And uh, both of these guys that project to be in the mix are, are north of that. So that's a bit of a black hole for me uh, in terms of pre- preparing for the off-season draft, preseason drafts. So I'll say that. Chicago Blackhawks, they finished seventh in this division. Arizona last year was eighth. So Chicago beat them out and they'll probably beat them out again this year, but not by much. I don't think there's a heck of a lot to talk about on the Chicago Blackhawks offense, but I'll try to highlight some of the players to watch. Certainly Patrick Kane. You wonder if he's going to play out the season, AJ. He's getting near the end of his contract and might be more valuable as a trade chip because it looks like the Hawks are are destined for non-playoff participation. And you'd hate to waste an asset like Kane, who last year, again, lit it up for 92 points in 78 games played. He's still their signature offensive piece. You can say Jonathan Taines is is another guy to consider, but Taves really had an off-season offensively coming back from the previous year where we had uh, severe uh, medical issues that haunted him and prevented him from playing at all. So he's on the downside as well, but not as much of an asset in trade, I think, as Kane would be. Uh, Around them, they picked up Andreas Athanasiu from Los Angeles Kings. I think that's a pretty nice addition. Athanasiu should be an offensive presence here. Only 28 games played last year, 11 goals and six assists. You can expect this guy, if he's healthy, to threaten the 25-goal mark as a top six player. You're gonna get, he's going like, to get a lot of ice time. And uh, a guy who was playing in Tampa uh, as a, a recently developed player there, Taylor Radish, he was in Chicago last year, got 11 goals and 11 assists. He uh, f- played in 20, 74 games. And I think he's poised for a breakout as a top six player here, another guy that's going to factor in offensively with an opportunity. I was curious, AJ, 
before I swing it over to you about the addition of Max Domi for $3 million, uh, they picked him up uh, in free agency uh, a year last year, split between Columbus and Carolina. He got 39 points in 72 games, but uh, he's been kind of cutting a, a bad reputation for himself in the last couple of seasons. AJ is not really a team player, and that impacted on the fact that he had trouble finding work in the offseason. So I think he's in a prove-it situation, and maybe motivating this guy is the best thing that could happen for him. Uh, I'll leave it for you to comment on him and any other forwards that you want to take to take a look at here. Yeah, I agree with you on Dome, and, and I'll be totally blunt. I think both Dome and Athanasiu were brought in as future trade pieces. They were each signed to one-year deals for $3 million. If Chicago is willing to trade or uh, retain salary uh, for, for, you know, improved uh, return on investment there, you're talking about just $1.5 million that a team would have to figure out how to fit in to their cap. That's pretty reasonable. So I, I would expect neither of those guys to finish the season with the, the Blackhawks here. You know, the thing with Kane and Taves is they both have no movement clauses. Even if Chicago keeps half of the salary, you're still looking at north of $5 million that you got to fit in there. I totally agree. I think Kane's probably the, the better uh, piece there. But, yeah, from my standpoint, I think Dome and Athanasiu were brought in for themselves to kind of prove it, earn, you know, earn better terms on your next contract. But, you know, don't anticipate finishing the year here in Chicago. If you have a good year, it works for you. If you have a good year, it works for us too, because we can trade you away. So that's kind of how I view those two contracts. I'll take us in to the blue line right away. We're looking at uh, Stanley Cup champion Jack Johnson. Throw that in there for him, pairing up with <laughs> Seth Jones. Um, it'd be interesting to see if that holds. I don't know that you want Jack Johnson on the ice for the type of minutes that Seth Jones would be playing. So I could see maybe Alex Vlasic moving into that role. Um, some of this got shuffled around when Jake McCabe picked up a, a spinal injury. He'll be out until January, um, or neck injury, I believe. I, um, I think it was uh, cervical spine or something, so technically the neck. But, um, yeah, so, you know, but for now we've got Johnson paired with Seth Jones and uh, Connor Murphy with Vlasic, Stillman with Caleb Jones, uh, as kind of our pairings here. The bulk of the offense, as expected, will come from Seth Jones, but I think Alex Vlasic is a player um, not to sleep on here. Certainly, I think he's capable of doing a little bit more. He's never been a huge offensive guy. You know, you look at his numbers at Boston University, there's not a ton offensively there. Um, so, But I would put him maybe middle of the pack in terms of offensive upside among these guys here. I think he could offer more than say Connor Murphy who had 10 points last year or even Caleb Jones who had 15. Well, and for me, the intrigue is do they put the Jones brothers together? I'd be hard pressed to come up with a defense pairing made up of brothers in the NHL history annals. So uh, you have to go back a long way probably to find them. And uh, I might like to see that as a point of interest in Chicago to see how that looks. But uh, other than that, it's the Seth, Seth Jones show on, show on the back end. He's going to be their power play quarterback. And I think he's going to be hard-pressed to re- repeat a 50-point season with the, the lack of offensive support that I see on this club. AJ, the, def- the goalie tandem here is another one that's uh, – I'm going to say it's an ugly one. I think it's worse even than, than the Arizona one. I got a, I had my Philip Peter Mrazek last year in Toronto. He was a disaster. 
uh, behind a pretty good team. He did accumulate 12 wins out of his 18 decisions, but that was largely on the strength of the Leafs' offense, uh, overshadowing his shortcomings in the Nets. He was never a guy I felt comfortable watching. The goals against average was 334, and the save percentage was well below 90%. So uh, didn't didn't like those numbers, and neither did the Leafs, and they thought they had to dump him. And uh, along with that, it cost him a draft pick again. So uh, he's going to be the the signature, uh, the first stringer. I won't say the signature player because that implies a positive, but he's the first stringer uh, I, that I see in Chicago's mix. And Alex Stalock, who's bounced around the league for a few years, is a veteran, a backup. He only got into one game last year, so you wonder if there's anything behind these two guys that's going to push them. For them, you know, you've got Arvid uh, Soderblom in, yeah. in the minors right now. Jackson Stauber, like those are really the only two other goalies that they have under contract right now. Um, so it, it looks like it's going to be this pair. And, hey, this is a team that couldn't even rack up wins with Marc-Andre Fleury in goal. He only managed 19 in 45 games for them last year. I don't expect Peter Mrazek to be any better there. Uh, Colorado will be the next team we talk about here. We obviously hit at the top that Nathan McKinnon We'll see a huge uptick in salary next season. Um, in terms of what the offense looks like, you've got Nachushkin, McKinnon, and Rantanen as our projected lines right now. But, of course, as always, Gabriel Landeskog is in the mix to stack all three of those guys. I still think their center depth could be a little bit better. We've got Alex Newhook as the second-line center and Arturi Lekkanen on the right. But they brought in Evan Rodriguez on a pretty cheap deal uh, a very hot and cold player in his time in Pittsburgh, but he did have some good stints as the second center for Pittsburgh when either Crosby or Malkin was out of the lineup. So I do think he could challenge Newhook. He's got some nice flexibility, though, to play on the wing, which is where we have him right now on that third line with JT Comfier and Logan O'Connor. Um, you know, we've got a couple other guys that could factor. One thing that just came uh over the air as we were about to get on is it looks like Alex Galchenyuk is going to sign with Colorado on a tryout for camp. So he would be an intriguing add um, to their forward combinations here. Not sure if he'll make the team or where he would necessarily fit in, but if you figure Rodriguez potentially goes to the middle, they could use Galley as like a third, uh, third line winger on the left or right side. So I, th I think there might be an opportunity for him here if he can show but he's still got something left in the tank. Well, that's a heck of a bit of news, AJ. I'm, I'm higher on Galchenyuk than most people, I'll say. I got to look at him when he came to Toronto. And when he played with top six players, he looked like a top six player. So I think if he, if he has that in him still, he might be a real big surprise uh, addition to this club. And uh, it's a move that, that only the great teams can make. You know, the players want to have a great opportunity to re rehabilitate their careers this guy's going to a Stanley Cup defending champion and has a chance to play a top six role if he if he plays up to his potential. I think it's a great pickup by Colorado and could be some really good news for Galchenyuk, as I say, if he plays to the potential that I think I see in him. And that means that Newhook's uh, hold on, a, on that second-line role it could be a tenuous one. Galchenyuk has played some center ice. Uh, I don't think that that's what they would like to use him at here, but... But uh, certainly the skill level uh, would be, I think it could be the equal of a new hook. Uh, one of these guys is going to have a chance to really have their stats and, and be a sleeper pick. 
I think it's between those two guys. And Evan Rodriguez, you mentioned, is a viable third option. He had a 43-point season, AJ, last year. That's good numbers for him, probably a career best, and uh, finds himself uh, also along with with uh, the other two guys with a great opportunity here. So uh, three sleeper possibilities. Comfort is, is comfort food for these guys as a, insurance as a third-line center. I think that's a luxury to have a guy who approached a 20-goal season last year. I think Logan O'Connor can expect a, a step up in terms of his points. He got accumulated 24 last year. I think I could see him do more than that as the next best guy who might even threaten for top six minutes along with some of the other guys we've mentioned. In terms of the defense depth chart, boy, oh boy, there's not too many teams that can boast the quality that these guys have in terms of offensively skilled defenders. And it begins with Kale McCarr, who, for my money, is in a very small class of defensemen in hockey history that I've seen with the skill sets that, that he has. I mentioned the name Bobby Orr and I mentioned the name Paul Coffey in, in, in terms of what I see uh, in Kale McCarr, a guy who can skate with anybody and has all the offensive skills he can hope for in defense, defenseman. We saw him get the Conn Smythe Trophy last year after accumulating 86 points in the 77 games that he played in the regular season. In his shadow, though, Devin Taves, 57 points in 66 games. Those are outstanding numbers, too. Probably better than more than half the league league's top defensemen. So a real luxury for these guys. And then behind them, they have credible options in Bowen Byron, who was a, a youngster just coming into his own. He had 17 points in 30 games. And then Samuel Gerrard in 67 games, picking up 28 points. So a wealth of offensive depth on the blue line. And you round it out with veteran Josh Manson with 16 points in 67 games and Eric Johnson, 25 and 77. That's a very stout-looking top six, AJ, on the blue line. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't have much to add to that. Um, great breakdown of the blue line. So I'll jump into the goaltender where for the second time we're um, we're seeing them go with a completely different starting netminder. First, uh, in 21-20, we saw Philip Grubauer was their guy. He played in 40 games for them. Then last season, obviously, Darcy Kemper took over as the starter for them. He appeared in 57 games. And now it's going to be Alexander Georgiev who gets the nod here. Um, this might be a situation where Pavel, Pavel Francouz might actually be in the mix here. I would say he's on the outside looking in. Georgiev comes in to be the starter. I think there's no question about that. Um, but I think it's maybe, you know, you've got Georgiev's never hit the 20 win mark. He's never played more than 40 games in a season. Like there's, there's reasons to be a little bit cautious on that. Francis is a bit of a more known quantity for them. He's been with Colorado for the last three years, uh, 34 games played in, in 2019-20. So I, I think there's a possibility that this is maybe a little bit more open, that we see closer to, say, like a 60-40 goalie split. Um, so an uptick in games for Francis. I'm not sold that Georgiev's going to be – uh, you know, like a 57, you know, 60 game player for them, like they got out of Darcy Kemper in the past. Having said that, with that offense in front of him, uh, you don't have to do much here in order to win games. Yeah, AJ, I share your caution, cautious optimism about this pairing. And I don't think I want to bank on Georgia being a guy that plays north of 50 games played. I could see this being a pretty even split and the job, the number one job up for grabs a little bit. So I don't want to commit. Him, either one of these guys to be one of those few goalies that plays the big minutes for their teams this year. 
They're going to get solid goaltending out of the two of them, though. The numbers should be very reasonable and uh, positive. Georgiev's save percentage of almost 90% needs to improve a tick, though, for him to stay in the mix because Francouz was at 91.6% in the games that he played. His record was pretty solid at 15 wins and five losses in his effort. So I could see a split here in the early going and the job being up for grabs. AJ, take us into the Dallas forward situation, and uh, I will answer that. And then we've got a little bit of a trade to announce when we structure their defense for the upcoming season. Sounds good. Yeah. So for uh, Dallas right now, we're projecting Jason Robertson, Rupe Hintz, and Joe Pavelski as the top line. Pavelski, a phenomenal season last year, 27 goals. Rupe Hintz, 37 goals. Jason Robertson, obviously, bursting onto the scene with 41 goals last year. He had 45 points the year before. So that shows you just what kind of a breakout year he had. I think it's important to note that a lot of that came on the power play last season, 13 goals, eight assists with the man advantage. So that's huge in terms of fantasy pickups here. I'm not sure I would count on him hitting 40 again. That's not an easy mark to hit, but I think 30 should be more than doable playing alongside those guys. We've got Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, and Dennis Gurianov as the second line here. I think Gurianov's probably got a tentative hold on that spot. Mason Marchment came over from Florida, had a quality season last year, uh, 47 points in 54 games for, for the Panthers. I think he could push for that spot on the other side. And, you know, we've seen Ben and Sagan move up and down the lineup as they've struggled the last couple of years to really be super productive or at least productive enough to warrant their salary cap hits here. It's something we've talked about a lot on the show. Uh, Marchman, for his part, looks set to play with Faxa and Glenn Denning. Neither of those guys should be expected to do much more um, than probably 25 to 30 points. Joel Kivaranta is a player that's going to be looking for a huge bounce back season, just seven points in 57 games last year. You know, after his postseason play the year before, where he was kind of the darling of the postseason, um, I think big things were expected for him this season, and it just didn't materialize. Part of it, you have to say, is the ice time, 9.31 per game last season. That's super low. Um, so he's going to need to show something to earn more opportunities. I don't think uh, I don't think his ice time was cut for, you know, um, because it shouldn't have been. He just didn't show enough last year. And if he wants to get back to being a regular producer, he's going to need to find a way to contribute and earn more of that ice time back. AJ, I like your assessment. I'm just going to add a few notes. Uh, interesting to see a transition o- away from Ben and Sagan as the top line center and winger offensive leaders of this team. Not to say that they're done by any means. They did produce in the high 40s in points, and I could see them doing maybe uh, something similar, approaching 50 again this year. But the development of Robertson, Hintz, and Gurianov really rounds out the top six here. And I think you can see the new wave of young offensive players in Dallas, making this a more credible offense in in some. And the addition of Mason Marchman is a great move for me. Uh, I think that gives them insurance as top six depth. He'll play a third line role at the, at the opening of the season, but certainly could slide into a top six role easily if anybody else is injured or falters. And uh, you can say the same for the thing for Radic Facts, I think. And Kevaranta should be poised to, as you say, uh, have a bounce back season, could be a sleeper pick up some quality if you have your eye on him. And I also like 
the possibilities for Marion Studenick, who in a cup of coffee here, didn't get a lot of ice time for this team. I think he's going to get more of an opportunity this year to show his offensive upside. And I could see him pushing for third line minutes at the very least as well. AJ, you have you have the honor of uh, talking about the first trade that we of any consequence uh, as we do these segments because you broke the story to me this morning. I'll give you give you a chance to share it with our listeners. Yeah, so Dallas brings in uh, Nils Lundqvist from New York in exchange for a conditional first round pick in 2023 and a conditional fourth round pick in 2025. Um, should see a good amount of ice time here with with Dallas, I would imagine. Um, you know, far from guaranteed last season, he didn't play probably as much as he would have hoped for. Um, but I, I would expect we're going to see something out of him here, uh, in, you know, in terms of more games played. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a lot to give up a first round pick. I'm not really sure he warrants that he was a first round pick himself back in 2018, um, but it's, you know, it's pushed pretty far down the road in terms of, you know, a, a 2023 pick um, and then the other one being in 2025. So we'll see what happens here with him. But uh, I, I would expect they're, they're clearly thinking big things out of him when you consider how little or how much they gave up for him. And, AJ, that takes us to the first four teams that we talked about in this segment. And we'll have the other four. But uh, we're going to take a break right now and give you a chance to listen to our, some of our sponsors. And we'll be back to talk about another one. You're listening to the podcast from Rotowire with Statsman and AJ Hockey, a fantasy hockey podcast that we're very proud of here. And we'll be back to you right after these messages. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, we're back. And uh, AJ, I'm going to give you the chance to remind our listeners of uh, our number one sponsor on board. Very excited to have the, this group with us. And then your re- weekly reminder of uh, what how people can get to us with comments or questions during the course of the season. So over to you, pal. Yeah, absolutely. With the NFL season in full swing and the NHL just around the corner, it's the best time to try Caesars Sportsbook. Today, anyone who is at least 21 years old and in a licensed Caesars Sportsbook state can create a new account and redeem the Caesars Sportsbook promo code ROTO15. That's R-O-T-O-15. The promo code gives new users a risk-free first bet up to $1,500. Visit Caesars.com slash sportsbook or download the Caesars Sportsbook app today. And don't forget to use promo code ROTO15 when signing up. And as Paul mentioned, uh, if you want to get involved with us on social media, best place to do that is on Twitter. You can follow me at AJSholes24. You can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. If you're checking out those Twitter accounts, you'll see um, we go live on mine as well as the Rotowire uh, hockey Twitter account and the Rotowire Facebook page. So if you want to check the show out live and in person, you can see it there. Otherwise, comments and questions, we're happy to answer those over on Twitter. As I said, at AJSHOLS24 and at Statsman22. All right, partner, let's continue with our Central Division preview by moving on to Minnesota, where I see. Uh, Kirill Kaprasov, one of the league's more outstanding skilled offensive forwards, coming off a season where he had 108 points in 81 games played. Centering him is Ryan Hartman, who had his career best season with 34 goals and 31 assists, playing 82 games. And then Matt Zuccarello, one of the better playmaking wingers, not only did he get 24 goals, but had 55 assists for 79 points in 70 games played. That's a pretty nice-looking top line here. And the, the skill just continues in the second line when you consider Matt Boldy, had a very nice rookie season with 39 points and 47 games played. I think you can almost double those numbers if he plays a full slate of games this year. They're going to expect something of a nice splash from Marco Rossi, who was a high draft pick for the players not too long ago. He played mostly in the AHL last year, and I think he's going to get a chance to play top six minutes. He'll battle for the second-line role with Joel Eriksson Eck, who had 49 points last year. I think that Minnesota is looking for balance in the offense, so you're going to see these guys flip back and forth, I think. And then Tyson Yost uh, coming off a 20-point season in 80 games played. He's going to get more ice time here this season, and I think he's going to get a shot to be a top-six winger on this club too. They have some flexibility because they have good depth. I mentioned Eric Sinek, and Marcus Foligno is another guy on the third line, played 74 games last year, AJ, 42 points. Jordan Greenway, 27 points in 62 games. They got a lot of options here, and maybe there's more in the wings here with 
Steele and Patan that picked up, they picked up these two guys up in the offseason as well. So a lot of flexibility up front. Uh, I don't know how you see it playing out, but uh, those are names I think are worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will toss in quick uh, mentions of both Sam Steele and Nick Patan. Both, I think, are great signings for them. Sam Steele comes in on just a one-year $825,000 contract, like pretty cheap uh, mark for him. So if he can produce at a, at a you know significant level, he should be a factor there. At this point, you can basically count on him to score six goals because he's done that every year for the last four seasons um, and then grab a few assists. So I, I like the cheap, cost-effective signing. They get the 10 on a two-way deal so they don't have to worry – if they need to move them to the minors at, at worst, you're getting a veteran presence on your AHL affiliate at best. You're getting a guy who who's played, you know, at times in like the top six when he's been in Winnipeg with the jets and in, in previous stops. So a guy with plenty of NHL experience. And, and I do think they're good kind of depth signings for this organization in terms of the blue line. Jonas Brodeen is uh, going to be on that top line with Matt Dumba. I would say, you know, numbers there are not wowzer numbers in terms of offense. You've got 30 points from Brodeen, 27 from Dumbo, although Dumbo was limited to just 57 games last year. I'd expect a little bit higher from both of those guys this year, um, which is, you know, solid value there. Jacob Middleton and Jared Spurgeon are set to make up that second pairing as well. Spurgeon, for his part, 40 points last year. Um, and then Alex Goligoski and Kalen Addison, along with, you know, John Miller, uh, John Merrill, rather, and Andre Suster will kind of shuffle around. I would expect all of those guys to see some minutes. Um, Addison's probably the one with the most upside. Uh, not a lot of NHL games to, to his, uh, you know, resume yet. Just 18 NHL games at this point, but a second round pick back in 2018. So I think he's probably got the most upside there. The rest are veteran, you know, kind of established defenders that we'll see move in and out of the lineup here. AJ, this is another one of those defensive cores that I really like because there's four credible offensive options. I mean, that'll include Alex Galagoski, I think, who's going to bounce back from two goals and 28 assists. I think you can expect higher numbers than that from him. Uh, there's a lot more offense in front of these guys that's going to allow the numbers to grow here. This was once uh, thought by me for the last couple of years as a team that was offensively challenged. I don't think you can say that anymore. They've improved up front, and that's going to be reflected in the totals that these guys post on the back end. Dumba's a, a solid team. We can go with the fact that he had 27 points last year, AJ, 57 games played. I think those numbers are low, and I think you can expect him to – to deliver more than that uh, this season. Jonas Brodeen, 30 points. I think you can see an uptick there as well. Uh, Jared Spurgeon, a third credible, credible option in the top four, and Goligoski as insurance on that third pairing. What about the net minding here, AJ? I know you like one of these guys. Yeah, yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury would be back for another year, secretly hoping he would sign uh, back with the, the Penguins um, to round out his career, but he's got a two-year deal with Minnesota. Um, going to be just 3.5 million the cap hit here, so it'll be a little bit more manageable for them. They brought over Philip Gustafson from Ottawa to fill in as the backup. I think it's the perfect kind of tandem for them. They've got established veteran in uh, in Mark Andre Fleury who should see the bulk of the workload, and then a younger goalie in Gustafson who they can give more opportunities to. I wouldn't expect Fleury to play, you know, 60 plus games here. 
maybe 50, 55, I think would be about fair for him. And so that'll give them the opportunity to kind of nurture Gustafson, get him some opportunities without having to kind of throw him to the wolves here. So I really like this, uh, this goaltending point. Yeah, I, I think I do too. And if you're in dynasty leagues, what you just said about Gustafson really resonates with me, AJ. He's a guy that I might stash if I get uh, a chance to include him as, as the depth part of my roster and looking forward into the future because he, he should be poised to take the reins on behind what should be a pretty good team for the next several years here and should really listen every time uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's in the neighborhood of his dressing room uh, this season. I think he's got a chance to learn from one of the best and one of the uh, nicest guys by all accounts in the NHL. So that combination plus the, the track record that Fleury brings is really a great situation for Gustafsson to find himself in. He could be a real sleeper here going forward. The Nashville Predators, they finished fifth in this division last year with 897 points, AJ, and uh, they too have a pretty nice-looking top line when you consider the offensive uh, numbers of Philip Forsberg with 84 points, Ryan Johansson with 63, and then Matt Duchesne with 86. That's one of the best-looking offensive uh, top-line units in the entire NHL. If they can repeat those numbers again this year, they'll be in the mix for uh, top references again. Behind them, they have some interesting options. Nino Niederreiter is a guy that I've been high on for a while. Had 44 points in something of a breakout season for Carolina. He'll get a chance to be a a bonafide top six player here and maybe get more ice time than he did in uh, in his previous stop and factor into the power play because he never really got much of an opportunity with Carolina with the stars that they had in their mix. So I like to look for him to improve on his numbers. Mikhail Granlund. Playmaker at center, very solid in that regard, 53 assists. I'd like to see him put the puck in that a little bit more to improve his value. Only 11 tallies in that column. Eli Tolvanen is a youngster who is is maybe the most vulnerable of the top six to retain his job. He's got to do better than the 23 points in 75 games played, AJ. If I can throw it to you, maybe you can highlight other players that will threaten him in that role, in that situation. Yeah, you know, the the bottom of this lineup is is not crazy impressive. You know, you've got Zach Sanford coming out over from uh let's see, I think he was with Ottawa at the the back half of the this season there. Um or Winnipeg rather. And so yeah, I think um Zach Sanford is a player that could see more opportunities, eighty games, nine goals, twelve assists. I don't really see Cody Glass. Or even Colton Sissons pushing for much of a larger role. Yakov Trenin maybe could be in the mix there. So not not a ton of really quality depth here. Um, I would I would guess. You know, it's I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of guys that could take steps forward in their development and become bigger players for this team. If that doesn't happen, I would expect they'll be pretty active at the deadline, trying to add to the forward ranks here, in in my opinion. On the blue line, this is where this team has always and continues to excel. Roman Yossi, phenomenal season last year, 96 points in 80 games. I wouldn't expect 90, you know, 90 plus points out of a defenseman again, but certainly I, I don't see any reason why 70 or maybe even 80 could, you know, wouldn't be possible here. Dante Fabro is his defense partner. Three goals, 21 points. You know, biggest thing there is hopefully getting more than 66 games out of him. They bring in Ryan McDonough, 26 points in Tampa Bay last year. Um, I think 
obviously he won cups in Tampa Bay and that was great for him. I think the last few seasons they've asked him to kind of fill a slightly different role than being an offensive contributor. I think he still has that to his game. So if that's, you know, we're, we'll see what Nashville wants out of him, but I think he's certainly capable of still being a 30, maybe even 40 point producer. If that's the role they want to put him in, um, which, which I don't think has necessarily been in the case in Detroit or uh, Tampa the last few years, he'll pair up with Matisse Ekholm. And then they've got a couple of guys in Jeremy Lawson and Alexander Carrier who could, again, you know, step into larger, more prominent roles. You know, Lawson is 25, Carrier is 25 as well. So um, both those guys developing in the right direction. And, and that's what they know how to do in Nashville is develop defensemen. So I would expect, you know, more improvement, continued improvement from those two guys as well. AJ, I share your uh, sentiment with this being another top, top four that uh, it, all four of these guys should be drafted at some point in your in your hockey pools this year. I think that Fabro should expect a step up in terms of his point totals to be a guy who threatens 35, 40 points in that mix. Playing alongside Roman Yossi on a regular shift certainly has helped his development. I think he takes the next step. Matthias Ekholm, for, for years, has had one of the better contracts among uh, all NHLers, has given them good value every year, churning out 30 to 40 points this season and playing stout defense. Ryan McDonough, a heck of an ad. I think you're going to see him uh, improve on his offensive no- numbers. He only had 26 points last year, but didn't get a lot of opportunity on the special teams with a uh, fellow headman ahead of him on the chart over there. So, uh, and then Lausanne and Carrier, two experienced guys. Even Mark Borowiecki is a seventh defenseman with some experience. So a deep defense, you expect nothing less in Nashville. And behind those guys, one of the best goalies in hockey, no surprise, UC Saros, benefiting from the defensive structure of this team. But he's a real big talent, one of the better goalies in the NHL and one of the few that can play upwards of 60 games played. He'll be pressed to do that again. He appeared in... 60, almost 70 decisions last year for this club. 38 wins, 25 losses, three overtime losses uh, on the record. Kevin Lankin has been brought over from Chicago, and uh, he was a a starter for Chicago for stretches in the last couple of seasons. I think he takes a more appropriate role as a backup guy here and uh, gives some real insurance to, to Nashville should anything disastrous happened to Saros. So an improvement in the depth chart and the nets, something that I didn't expect here, but uh, certainly a, a quality addition with Lankin coming on board. For the St. Louis Blues, there were a couple of guys this offseason that got paid on long-term deals, both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo signing eight years, $65 million identical contracts. So clearly um, the Blues are trying to lock up those young guys for the long term and, and no reason that they shouldn't. They both are coming off outstanding years. For now, we've got Cairo on the second line with Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad. Pavel Buchnevich off his 30-goal season, playing with Rob Thomas and Vladimir Tarasenko on the top line. But look, I think these these six guys are pretty interchangeable uh, in terms of, you know, if they want to do different things, if they want to put O'Reilly with Tarasenko, or, you know, shuffle things around here to maybe get one guy going. Um, I, th- I think they're totally kind of an interchangeable six-pack here of, of players. And um, I think it gives them a, a strong front here 
Um, from my part, Paul, I don't see anybody that could really challenge the, for a spot in this top six. Um, is there anybody you see in the bottom that could get into the mix there? Well, ba- just based on the numbers here, uh, AJ, there's two credible su- members of that supporting cast. I would say Barbashev, 60-point season last year, Braden Shen, 58. Both of those guys played stretches of top six minutes for this club. Yeah, a lot of moving parts because they have that depth, I, I think. I don't think we've covered too many teams that have such credible options in the third line slot. And that's why I'm pretty high on this team overall. Uh, very experienced offensive grouping, the whole names that you mentioned and the two that I added uh, factor in, but they also got depth factors that uh, will make this team tough to play against when you consider Noel Achari and Nathan Walker uh, among the, the rest of the pack here. And even Matthew Highmore, a very interesting pickup from Vancouver. I think this guy could be a real surprise and maybe a sleeper among the offensive pieces in St. Louis. In uh, the depth chart on defense, there was a bit of a newsmaker that you discovered, AJ. Marco Scandella out for six months. That's a real blow here, and it will disrupt what otherwise would have been a pretty nice top four. But I think they have the answer in-house here when you consider that Nick, Nick Letty is in the mix. 24 points last season with the fact that Scandella is out. I think he moves up to a second pairing role with Pareko and forms a pretty stout uh, pairing there. Letty's been a very good offensive piece last uh, much of his career. So I expect he will double his uh, point total with the opportunity that now is before him. He got three goals and 21 assists last year. I could see him being a 40-point defenseman in this mix. But the heavy lifting will be done by the top pairing, AJ, of Tory Krug and Justin Falk. Falk really coming into his own in St. Louis now after some some doubt that I had for him, but he returned to form last year with 47 points based on 16 goals and 31 helpers. He'll be paired with Tory Krug, who came over from Boston a couple of years ago and found life to his liking in St. Louis. I think he can do better than the nine goals and 34 assists that he uh, tallied in 64 games played, but he's been injury troubled. Uh, you know, he missed 18 games again last year. So with Scandella out of the mix and the questionable health of Krug year in, year out, there may be some chinks in the armor on the blue line. I wonder if they have anything in reserve that will bolster that, in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to have to be, uh, you know, Perunovic uh, or uh, Mikola, Nico Mikola that steps into there. Um, but it, I think it's definitely a weak point of this offense, um, you know, they're, they're a little, in my opinion, top heavy or this defense, rather, they're a little top heavy in terms of Tory Krug and Justin Falk being really the only kind of uh, quality options right now in between the nets. A lot of this season, whether they succeed or not is going to come down to Jordan Bennington. How recovered is that surgically repaired knee? Um, you know, how many games do we see out of him? Last two years, he's missed that 20-win mark in both campaigns. Uh, Last year, a career worst, 3.13 goals against average. Thomas Grice comes over from Detroit to serve really as the backup slash, you know, maybe a little bit of a a veteran mentor here. Um, And But I wouldn't expect Grice to be really the regular starter. If I, I guess it's not impossible to happen, but if it does, it means Bennington has really struggled again. He should have the inside track to the starting job. And Grice is kind of just, a, you know, kind of a just in case, break, break glass in case of emergency kind of situation for Grice. So uh, I don't love the goaltending mix here. I'm not 
totally confident that Bennington's going to be able to bounce back to what we saw when he first broke into the league. Um, and if, you know, and obviously question marks around how ready to go is that need for the start of the season? Yeah, I echo your sentiment, AJ. I think the, the goaltending situation is squarely on Bennington's shoulders and it's up to him to show that he can recapture former glory and be one of the top goalies in this league. I don't think you can expect him to play much more than 50 games, though, and that's why it's important that they sign the guy with with Grace's background. He's been a guy that's capable of playing longer stretches if necessary, was involved in 26 decisions last year. He needs to improve on his numbers. He'll get the chance. I think the numbers will improve organically just because he's behind the better overall team than he's been for a couple of seasons. Certainly Detroit, you can't compare them to St. Louis overall. I think you'll agree to that. So I do see an uptick in his numbers, but the challenge will be for Bennington to take the bit and really run with it here. And Paul, I, should, I should correct myself real quick. He did not need surgery on the knee. I misread that. Um, so not surgically repaired, but it did cost him the end of the season. So yeah. hopefully it's back up to snuff, but I did want right. to clarify. Very good, very good. I'll take us into a discussion of the Winnipeg forwards combination. Uh, of course, they made some news with uh, off the ice with Blake Wheeler. Uh, his his title of captain of this team has been removed. That's an interesting one to consider what, what impact that might have in the dressing room. But he's being the good soldier and accepting it in stride, at least publicly. Uh, the look of the top line should be unchanged, even with that news. Wheeler coming off a 60-point season uh, in 65 games played, he'll he missed a chunk, uh, 17 games, to minimize those numbers a little bit. But you can see that by, by playing with Kyle Connor, who had 93 points, and Mark Shifley, who had 70 in 67 games, I think all three of these guys should be around a point per game. And Kyle Connor might even threaten the 50 goal mark uh, with another season under his belt. You're one of the top snipers in the NHL. On the second line, they have a guy who was been a first liner for them in the past and that's Nikolai Ehlers uh, another guy who missed a chunk of the season he missed 20 games and that impacted his totals he had 55 points I think this guy could be a 70 point player on this team and when you consider that Pierre Luc Dubois is a center who's coming into his own here 60 points in 81 games played that's a pretty nice one-two punch at center when you consider him and Shifley that gives uh, the Jets a real edge most nights uh, on their schedule and then the guy who should benefit from from Playing in top six minutes here is a guy we're calling, I'm calling him a sleeper, uh, Cole Perfetti, a formerly a high draft pick, and he's going to get a chance to build on what he's accomplished so far in his career. Not too much in terms of NHL action. Last year, only 18 games played, two goals and five assists, the numbers, but I think he's capable of much more. And he's going to get the chance to, to do that, AJ, because I don't think there's anybody really going to threaten him on the bottom six. It's a bit of a drop-off here that is significant. When, uh, it wasn't too long ago that Winnipeg was one of those teams that had three solid forward lines. I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking for more from uh, what they've assembled here in the bottom six. I can't think of a name that I would consider as possibly drafting other than Mason Appleton in the deepest of fantasy leagues. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that take. And I saw one kind of speculative uh, suggestion on Blake Wheeler that uh, perhaps by stripping the captaincy, they're, they're making Winnipeg less appealing to him. He's got a pretty limited uh, no-trade clause. He submits a five-team list that he can be traded to. Um, so between stripping the captaincy and, and maybe other things, maybe they're trying to convince him that, uh, you know, when the trade deadline comes up, he'd be willing to waive 
you know, and and allow a move to a team that's not on his list. So a little speculative there, but we'll obviously monitor that situation as those rumors inevitably pop up. On the blue line, you're looking at Josh Morrissey being your offensive driver, 12 goals, 25 points last year. Neil Pionk is another guy that is capable of producing uh, in the offensive end for them. 34 points last year. I think both of these guys are, are capable of slightly more. Um, the team as a whole was down last year. Um, but Pionk, I think you can safely count on him to hit the 30 mark with a ceiling probably around 45. That's what he uh, put up in 2019-20. Um, Morrissey, I think, has probably the higher ceiling between the two guys here. Um, even though he you know, hasn't had uh, the best numbers, uh, you know, or has doesn't have the high numbers, uh, doesn't have like a 40-point season. He's got a little more consistency to his game, and last year he was actually a career best. So um, from my standpoint, Morrissey probably the higher upside. He'll pair with Dylan DeMello, Pionk with Dylan Sandberg. Um, so they, they each get a Dylan as their kind of defensive uh, defensive marker guy. And then Brendan Dillon, spelled differently, and Nate Schmidt uh, round out the bottom pairing there. So I, I like what they have here. Maybe one more offensive piece. Nate Schmidt uh, had 32 points last year, so he's certainly capable of it as well. Um, but overall, I think this is an improved defense for one that we've maligned uh, several times over the last you know couple of seasons, and, and I think rightly so. Yeah, I think so. And you wonder if they're going to see a step in the development of Logan Stanley, who was – Ticketed now as maybe the seventh defenseman on this club. He excelled in stretches last season, but wasn't consistent. You're looking for him to take a next step. He's a big, big specimen of, uh, of a player, over six, well over 6'6", six, six, I think, and uh, can mix it up with the best of them as well. So uh, it's a formidable seven defensemen that they can choose from, three offensive pieces for sure, and maybe they got something in Stanley, who knows. But behind them all is their most valuable player year in, year out, and that's Connor Hellebuck. This guy is year in, year out, one of the top goalies picked in the NHL. Maybe he'll be a top three goalie uh, once again, even though the team has taken a bit of a step backward overall, in my opinion. But uh, you don't see too many guys that are involved in 66 decisions like he was last year. The goals against average was a touch higher than He's seen for much of his career at 297, the save percentage lower at 91%. You'd like to see those numbers improve a little bit, and that'll be reflective of the fortunes of this club, but uh, they're in a tough division. And uh, I'm not going to call him Big Save Dave anymore, uh, (laughs) AJ, because uh, Dave Riddick only played six games for Nashville last year, and then then one relief decision as well. So seven total decisions, the goals against average 357, save percentage 886. He's going to have to prove it to me before I call him big save Dave ever again. Seems like no save Dave as of late. (laughs) AJ, I put it to you now to take us to the final standings as you see them. Uh, Give us the order and tell us why. Well, I mean, for the, for the top, is there any question here? Is anybody (laughs) going to be brave enough out there in terms of, you know, prognosticators not to put Colorado at the top, that'd be a pretty bold claim at this point. So I expect Colorado to be number one, Minnesota to be number two. Um, I think they've just got so much going for them. I've got Nashville in the three spot here. Um, And I think what separates Nashville and uh, St. Louis for me, you know, we talked about St. Louis, more sound like forward depth, uh, Nashville, maybe the slightly better blue line, especially in light of the Scandella injury. 
I trust the Nashville goaltending a little bit better. So I think they edge out St. Louis, but I would expect both of these to be playoff teams. Winnipeg, um, there's just not a lot of forward depth there. Uh, you know, we, we obviously talked about that. Connor Hellybuck has in the past shown himself capable of stealing games. We didn't see a lot of it that that last year. If they end up being a playoff team, you can guarantee that Hellybuck had a good season. Dallas uh, in six, this is just a super competitive division. Uh, and again, they don't have a ton of depth. Um, they're, you know, their blue lines, maybe not quite up to snuff as some of these other teams here. Chicago, we talked about kind of just, you know, the goaltending is a huge question mark. Arizona doesn't have much of anything. So they round out the bottom here. So um, I, I don't think it's quite a have and have not, you know, um, I think maybe Colorado, Minnesota, one, two are locks. Nashville, St. Louis kind of battling out for the third spot. Um, Winnipeg and Dallas capable of maybe putting themselves in the mix with Chicago and Arizona, the bottom of this division. AJ, I'm almost in complete agreement with you, but I'll flip a couple of positions. The top two and the bottom two were in St. Colorado, Minnesota, are the class of this division. I don't think there's any question. Colorado should win the division easily, but Minnesota is going to be a team that gets upwards of 100 points again this season to be uh, a second-place a second place lock, in my opinion. I'm going to put St. Louis ahead of Nashville just because I really like the offensive depth, the veteran nature of this team uh, on the back end is a plus as, as well. And I see a bounce back out of Jordan Bennington, uh, and he's ably supported by Thomas Grice, who's a, a pretty solid backup option here. So I don't see too many weaknesses, but you said it yourself there at a very – Deep division, and I think third place is the highest they can go. I think it's a coin flip between the Nashville. Them and Nashville, I give Nashville the edge on defense, as you would expect, and in the Nets perhaps as well. But I, I don't have the faith in Nashville's forward ranks that I do in St. Louis, and that's tipping the scales for me in that, that pairing. Then I give Dallas a slight edge over Winnipeg. I really like what Dallas has done in the last few years infusing some youngsters into the offense and and it has a credible look in terms of being a threatening offense uh, and with a and a deep offense really and and I like their situation they're a little bit better than Winnipeg I think the controversy uh, of the captaincy and uh, a couple other issues this team has had over the last little while you're not sure whether Pierre-Luc Dubois really wants to be there I've heard stories about that and he wants to be a maybe playing in his hometown in Montreal. That's something we could look for later in the season if uh, if their fortunes flounder here. Maybe they'll make something happen in that regard. And the cellar dwellers, it's going to be a coin flip between Chicago and Arizona, two very bad teams. And anytime they suit up against other clubs, you're going to load up on them in fantasy DFS play, which we will infuse into our broadcast when the regular season starts. AJ, any final thoughts from you before we sign off on uh, week two of our preseason schedule? No, I mean, uh, looks like uh, you've got us pegged for the Metropolitan Division next, so I'm excited about that. Clearly, I've got the Penguins at the top of the Metro. Um, you know, why not? Of course, um, I don't know who could possibly challenge them. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to next week, and uh, obviously things are picking up with training camps kicking off on Thursday here. Uh, the news is picking up, and, and we'll continue to bring you all that uh, as it comes out. Absolutely, partner. And I can't wait to get to the regular season, but we got two more of these to do and uh, lots of player movement to talk about in, in those divisions. I think I can come up with a couple of names of teams that will threaten your, your penguins <laughs> and standings, but I'll save that to next week and uh, and uh, we'll sign off today. As always, we remind you that we're here to assist you 
to to win your hockey pools and enjoy your fantasy hockey experience all season long. So we encourage you to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.